What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We we're able to finish all of chapter 3 last week, and I'm very confident that we can finish all of chapter 4 today. So like I always say, let's get started to give ourselves the most time to make sure that we can finish this thing up. Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll talk about that, and we'll read in small sections today. So, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. All right. So as we get going, <clears throat> chapter 4 starts off a little better than chapters 2 and 3. Now, you remember chapters 2 and 3 are very dependent on the previous chapters before them. So in order to understand what's being talked about as soon as you start reading chapters 2 and 3, you need to have read the previous chapter and be mindful of the discussion that was taking place beforehand. Chapter 4 is uh, it's a little better, but it's still very much tied to the discussion from chapter 3. As we were talking about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant last week. And as Paul begins chapter 4, you have him really just kind of continuing on in this discussion of the New Way. Um, So when he says the New Way, that's talking about the New Covenant that he's referring to. Now it's a little easier. Chapter 4 can be uh, read alone. Like it can be a standalone chapter Um, But it actually helps you to understand it so much better to know what was being talked about in chapter 3. So I always tell people, if you really want to get a true understanding of Scripture, you need to read all around. Um, You need to make sure you're reading everything leading into this stuff because uh, so much of Scripture is connected. Um, Read as much Scripture as you can. Read Old Testament. Read New Testament. Read all the chapters surrounding uh, things that interest you, things that you're questioning, because the answers may not necessarily lie in the exact passage that you're curious about or asking questions on. The answer will probably lie somewhere else in Scripture. So chapter 4 is tied to chapter 3, as Paul is talking about this new way or this new covenant. And you got to remember when Paul is talking about the new way, he's talking about how the new way leads to life. It's glorious, okay? The new covenant is glorious, and it's so glorious that it makes the old covenant, which was very glorious, seem like it has no glory at all. But because the new way is so much better, we should never give up. Um, It's one of those things that we should never, ever give up on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the most glorious thing to ever exist in all of creation. And your older versions um, will say that because of this we never lose heart. And and if you think about it, you know, we always give up on things whenever we reach the point that we feel like what we are doing is not going to pay off. So Um, If we believe that our dieting isn't work, we give up on the diet. If we believe the exercising isn't working, we give up on the exercising. If we ever begin to see the results and we believe in it, we keep doing it because we know it's beneficial. 
there might be things that you do like projects or you might try to work on something or fix something and you just get to the point where it's taking so much time and so much effort and you really still don't know what you're doing that you just give up and quit and say it's easier to pay somebody else to do this who knows what they're doing so we always give up on things that we don't believe are going to pay off and so what paul is saying is that as a believer if you believe in christ you have to believe in this new covenant you have to be bought into this new way it's the one that leads to life and we can't give up on it we have to believe in it and have faith that this is going to pay off big in the end now paul very much believed in the new way and he believed in his calling as an apostle to preach the new way and Paul was putting his entire life on the line regularly in order to see this thing through. Paul was rejecting everything about the world in order to spread the gospel. And so as Paul is still defending his apostleship here in chapter 4, he's talking about how he would never dare to trick anyone or, or twist the word of God and try to get people to follow him in any way. The goal was to get people to follow God. And Paul must remain true to the new way because it is only through the new way or the new covenant through Jesus Christ that people can truly be saved and receive forgiveness of sin and follow God. Any other way leads to death. Paul talked about that in chapter 3. Even the old covenant, which was very glorious, it led to death. So Paul says that anyone who is honest, anyone who's good, knows that Paul and his companions are honest in all of their dealings and honest in all of their ministries. They're never preaching themselves. They're constantly preaching Jesus and trying to bring glory and honor to Christ. So in verse 3, Paul talks about the good news being hidden behind a veil. And this is a throwback to what Paul was talking about in chapter 3. You know, he talked about the veil that Moses had on his face uh, to shield the people of Israel from the gloriousness of the uh, of the presence of God that shone on his face. And it also shielded them from the gloriousness fading uh, so that they wouldn't know the glory of God had faded from his face. But it's also a throwback to the veil in the temple which separated the people from the very presence of God. So <clears throat> um, now understanding that when Paul's talking about this veil, he's also having a throwback to chapter 2 where he was talking about how the gospel, at the end of chapter 2, the gospel is a sweet fragrance for those that are being saved, and it's a stench of death to those that are perishing. So people that are perishing have a veil that is hiding the gospel truth from them, and they just can't understand what it is. And, and Paul says that Satan is the one responsible for putting up this veil and blinding the people of the world. People who don't believe in Christ cannot see. And yes, like I understand, it is very difficult for people who aren't believers to see um, the things of God if they don't believe and have faith in Christ. I can remember being like this as a kid growing up. And I went to church. I knew a lot of the Bible stories. Um, now, we didn't go to church a lot, and we weren't super involved. But I remember, like, I believed in God, but at the same time, I was not saved. And I had a really difficult time seeing and understanding why the things that God called us to do as Christians were beneficial. 
things like as a young boy growing up and thinking about premarital sex. Why does God want us to not do this? Why is it worth not engaging in something that I really wanted to do in order to honor God? Like, how does that abstaining from sexual activity honor God? So it's really difficult for people of the world who aren't true children of God, because I believed in God, but I wasn't a true children of God. It's really difficult for the world to understand and see clearly the things of God. And, and Paul's talking about this veil. You know, these the people of the world are perishing. They can't see past the veil. The truth of the gospel is hidden from them. And Satan's the one responsible. He has blinded the world. I mean, he has tempted us. He's drawn us into sin. And he has cut us off from our Heavenly Father. So, so many of the things about Christianity don't make sense to normal, everyday people. And I understand that because I remember being like that. But for everyone who is a true believer, this is why so many people in the world think Christians are crazy. Because two people who believe in Christ, they see, they understand why these things are beneficial. They, they understand why God calls us to uh, make these sacrifices and do these things because it makes perfect sense. Uh, some are still hard to explain, but we know God's ways work because we've put them into practice. We've exercised them in our lives. And so even though we may not be good at explaining why these things are beneficial or how God uses these things, we know them to be true and beneficial, and it helps us to step out in faith and trust God in more ways. So the people of the world, Paul is saying, are blind, and they can't see this glorious light of Jesus Christ that he's talking about. Paul also says that Christ is the exact likeness of God, which is really, really important. Um, you know, we talked about last week how the Trinity um, can be tricky because so many times the writers of the New Testament talk about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit separately. Um, and, and, you know, they don't always lump them together. But there are plenty of passages of Scripture that affirm the Trinity of Jesus being God, God being the Spirit, God also being Christ. Um, there are plenty of passages. And this is just one of those where it says that Christ is the exact likeness of God. Um, you know, other passages or translations says that He is the image of God. And so it's really important to understand that Jesus is the only visible image of God that we have. But it's important to know that it's not the the visual image of his face or his body that he's the image of God, but rather his character is the visible image of God. Jesus came to show us the true character, the heart, the 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 heart behind the law. Um, of who God really was. And Jesus was a perfect representation of God's character and uh, who he was in his life. So it wasn't that Jesus looked like God physically, but rather he acted like God. He taught like God. He explained the true meaning of the Old Testament laws so that we could follow God in a better way. So if we follow the example of Christ, technically we also could be the image of God for people around us if we are following the example of Christ because it was Christ's example, his character, 
that was the exact representation or the um, the visible image of God in that. So I, I thought that was really important and just kind of mentioned today that, um, again, you know, it's a small verse. You may not be able to see it initially as you read it, but it does point to the fact of Paul is affirming the Trinity to believe that Jesus is God. God is the Spirit. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is Christ. They are all connected Um even though we refer to them separately in a lot of ways, that they are the same thing. So let's read verses uh, 5 through 12 together, and we'll talk a little more. Paul says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Okay, we see once again that Paul communicates that this is not about him or his companions. Everything they do is for Christ. Paul and his companions are just servants, okay? They are the servants of the Corinthians, and they are servants to them for the glory of Christ and nothing more. Everything about these people, everything that they do, is about Jesus, and the light of Jesus has shone in their hearts so that they could truly know and understand the glory of God found in Jesus Christ alone. It's all about Jesus, and it was always all about Jesus, Paul never tries to elevate himself in the ministry of the gospel in any way. Remember, all of 1 Corinthians was talking about how Paul never claimed his rights as an apostle. He never received anything as a result of him preaching the gospel. So his explanation of what he and every other believer is in verse 7 shines brightly for the rest of us to see and hear. Um. We are like fragile clay jars. Clay jars are a dime a dozen. And I was reading something earlier that was talking about how basically clay jars were kind of present everywhere in everyone's home. Um, They were cheap. They were plentiful. uh, They were easy to make. And they were also disposable. And, you know, we don't think about the ancient world um, really having a lot of disposable stuff that they would just throw away. But apparently clay jars were one of those things that, um, you know, people just didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of way to acquire stuff. But clay jars were plentiful. Um, They were reusable. But at the same time, if they broke, no big deal. We can get another one because they're very plentiful. Um, 
And so even people had this idea that clay jars were kind of disposable. Like you bought them knowing that more than likely they were going to end up broken eventually, but they were still useful and uh, you, you ended up acquiring them because you bought whatever was inside of them. And the true value lies in what's inside these clay jars. Now, Paul said that all who believe in Christ contain a great treasure within them. And any value that we have as people, any worth, any power, any authority, it does not come from ourselves, but it comes from this glorious God that dwells within us. This is what Paul is communicating. And Paul chooses, I'm sorry, God chooses to do this. God chooses to use these fragile clay jars because God loves using weak and broken vessels so that he receives all of the glory and we don't receive any of it. And I think that's so important to remember as Christians. You know, even we as believers, we still like to think of ourselves pretty highly. Like We, we like to give ourselves a lot of credit. We like to consider ourselves holy and pure and that we serve God and we're making these great efforts and we've sacrificed a lot and we're doing well to go to church and do all these things. But in reality, you know, we're just fragile clay jars, broken vessels that God has chosen to use to bring glory to himself. So really, um, the way that scripture reads is God loves using the weak to um, display his strength because if he uses the weak, we can't take credit for any kind of strength because we are naturally weak. So as believers, it's almost should be humbling that God has revealed himself to us in such a way that we believe in him and trust in him because it would reveal that we are weak and broken and needy in so many ways. And God displays his glory through us because we are that very thing. Now, we don't like to admit that. We don't like to talk about that. But that's very true. Um, God loves us enough that despite our lack of beauty, our lack of worth, our lack of durability, that he, cho he chooses to use us anyways because we bring him great glory. And that's a wonderful thing. Like That's very humbling. And, and I, I say that this morning, and I want to reiterate this, this concept to you because it's very important to understand that God saving you and dwelling within you and giving you his glory and using you to accomplish wonderful, glorious things is never a result of your ability or your talents or your whatever. It's not you. It's because he loves you enough to use you despite of all the messed up things in your life. And that should bring you comfort because if you do mess up, if you do fail, if you do drop the ball or whatever it's comforting to know that we still have a heavenly father who loves us despite our inabilities to be perfect and none of us are perfect like we would all willingly admit because it's okay for us to say we're not perfect because we know that but you know we're kind of a mess like even the best of us are still a mess like we're emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, um, 
whatever. Like we're all a mess, but God loves us enough to use us anyway. That should be comforting. It shouldn't be demeaning in any way. It should be comforting to know that God loves us and still wants to use us despite so many things in our lives. So God chooses to use us despite those things. And that is a wonderful comfort in my life. But in verse 8, Paul talks about how we are pressed on every side. You know, here we are, these fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, and we are pressed on every side to the point of destruction by all of the troubles and all the things of this world, but it's amazing that through the power of God we are not crushed. And this is one of the most famous passages of Scripture in the Bible for for believers, not for the world. Like, the world would never identify this as a famous passage. But if you're a believer, for any amount of time, you've probably heard this verse quoted at some point in time. But this is where Paul starts to talk about, you know, we've experienced troubles. We're pressed, um, but we're not crushed. We experience confusion, frustration, wondering what the heck's going on, but we're not um, in despair or need. We're hunted down and persecuted, but never abandoned. We are struck, knocked down, but we're never destroyed. In fact, those fragile clay jars that are called our bodies that contain the glorious message of the gospel are brought to suffering so that we can actually share in the death of Jesus so that we may also share in his eternal life of, of Jesus. So if we want to share in the eternal life, we also have to share in his physical death. And that's what Paul's talking about. All the suffering they're enduring is sharing in the death of Christ, leading them to experience eternal life of Christ, and it's also allowing the eternal life of Christ to be seen in us from other people. And verse 11 talks about this constant danger of death because of their service to Christ. And, and guys, we, we are so lucky in America that we don't have to deal with this. You know, it's, it's a tough day and time to be a Christian. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, immorality out there. A lot of people are really starting to kind of get on the Christians. It's, you know, you, you get a lot of looks and you get a lot of words from people who, when they find out you're a Christian. But you know, it's nothing more than just frustrating and and just kind of confusing to be a Christian right now. The looming physical danger that Paul and these other people experienced is unknown to us in our faith in Christ today. And guys, I truly believe that most people who claim to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ would probably deny him if they ever felt their lives would be in danger as a result. And one of the greatest indications of that is because most people can't give up worldly things in order to truly follow Christ. So if you can't just give up like normal, everyday, worldly stuff to grow closer to Jesus Christ and to be for him and just count it as a win to be able to sacrifice for Jesus. Like if you can't come to that point in your life, how do you ever expect to be willing to sacrifice your physical health, your safety, or even your very life, or your family's life, at that matter, um, for that matter, to to claim and continue to profess your belief in Christ, it just doesn't equate. It doesn't translate. 
And so I think a lot of people would really deny Christ if that ever came to be, where we had to face mortal danger. And, um, you know, I just want to remind you, Jesus said, if you deny me here on earth, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And so there's a strong warning uh, by Jesus for us to maintain our faith and to uh, never deny him, but to always claim and proudly proclaim that we believe and have trust in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12 says that this constant fate of death looming over them, it results in eternal life for everyone that is believing and enduring through all these things. And so Paul and his companions and the Corinthians, like, you know, the... The, the, the looming fate of death for believing in Christ was always there. It never went away. Paul was a wanted man. like People were hunting for him. And I hope and pray that we would all continue to believe and endure in the face of this if it ever came to be. Um, I will say this. Um, after being a Christian for 23 years now, um, uh, we are a lot closer to this than what we ever have been before. Um, I, I believe that it's, it's only going to get harder to be a Christian before it ever gets better. So um, let's read verses 13 through 18. We'll finish up the chapter today. It says, But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small, and it won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So Paul simply writes how they continue to preach despite all that they endure, because they have faith. And it's no ordinary faith, but it's the same kind of faith that the psalmist had, and he's referring to that, that psalm, where um, because... He believes in God. He spoke. Genuine faith leads to genuine salvation, and genuine salvation leads to genuine testimony. Guys, having forgiveness of sin and a true relationship with Christ will give you a testimony that you will long to share with others. If you say that you love Jesus Christ, but you don't have a desire to talk about Him, you really need to check your spiritual gauges. Because you probably are not what you think you are. Where there is genuine faith and genuine relationship with God, there is a longing to spew forth the goodness of God in your life and the possibility for others to have the same thing you have because there's nothing special about you. And yet God has done all of these great things in you for you and through you. You know, that goes back to the clay jars. We're just fragile clay jars. There's nothing special about us, but God has chosen to house this wonderful gift, this wonderful treasure inside of us. And it's just a privilege to be able to do that. And Paul is talking about in this passage as he finishes up, you know, the anticipation of the resurrection. That all believers, if we 
maintain our faith in him, if we, if we maintain our belief in him, that we will be raised to life just as Jesus Christ was raised to life through the power of God. And Paul was saying to the Corinthians that because they should have the same wonderful thing to look forward to, if they are who they say they are, all of this is for the benefit of the Corinthians. And as more and more people receive this grace, God will receive more and more glory. So, so Paul is talking about his ministry, how he loves to, to speak about God, and, and what God has called him to do is for the benefit of the Corinthians. It's not for the benefit of Paul. And the more and more people who believe in the message of the gospel is going to bring more and more glory to God. So God wants others to be saved because it brings him more glory. So he would want you to speak and testify on his behalf in order to bring him more glory. So as a believer, if you're listening to this today, you need to understand God wants you to speak his name. God wants you to testify on his behalf. He wants you to share what he's done in your life because he wants you to bring him glory. He wants more people to believe so that more glory can be brought to him. That is the purpose for you being saved. It's not just to give you eternal life. You are not deserving of eternal life. God will give you eternal life if you bring glory and honor to him. And this is why Paul and his companions, they never give up. All right? They are dying, but Paul says they are being renewed daily. Everything they are enduring seems enormous and unbearable to the rest of the world, but to them and to other true believers, it's just small and it won't last very long. And all of these things they endure is producing a glory that outweighs everything that they're enduring. I mean, it's so the glory that they're getting from this, that God is getting from this, is so much better than what they're having to endure. This is why they don't give up. You remember, at the beginning of this chapter, we said, we give up on things that we believe are not worth what we're doing. If it's not worth the effort, worth the trouble, worth the money, worth the time, we give up on it and we... Either get someone else to do it or we just don't worry about it. We just kick it to the curb and move on to the next thing. We give up on things that we don't believe in. So if you give up on Christ, what you're doing is you're communicating that you don't believe. And this is why Paul says we never give up. We never we never give in. All of these things produce glory and the glory it is producing is eternal. And because of this, they don't focus on the troubles now. They don't focus on the things of the world. They fix their eyes on what cannot be seen. They fix their eyes on the promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled. And everything you can see now will be gone and will fade away one day. That's important. Everything on this earth will be gone. It will fade away. But everything that you can't see will last forever. What are you fixing your eyes on this morning? What is your life focused on? I hope that you are fixing your heart and your eyes on the unseen things to come, the very promises of God, because those are the only things that are eternal. Everything else is going to fade away. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day and for this time together. God, I pray for everyone listening in, that you would speak into our hearts, that you would guide us, that you would show us your truths. Lord, help us to have true, genuine faith, to believe in you and trust in you, to endure the suffering and pains of this world and to cling to the eternal promises that you are bringing to about that are so glorious. And I pray that everything about our lives will bring you glory and honor. We love you today and we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you in person. But if not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or podcasts. We love you. Have a great week.